response required. In session two, we're gonna see that response is consecration. The way we respond, that that response is a reasonable response. Uh, we will see that worship is praising him by prizing him. I love that. That's by John Piper, but I think he, he puts it really well. It's praising him, finding, you know, giving the highest value, uh, uh, worth by valuing him the most, right? And so um, it, it's about our life that says uh, it, it gives the worship of God, acknowledging God is the Lord of our lives. So having said that, let me just pray and then we'll start. Father, we thank you for your word, your precious word. Help us, oh Father, that each time we come back, we are just, that we'll just be excited as uh, not just to play with the waves along the beach, but to get in, uh, deep dive and just enjoy the riches of your word. And as we do that, Father, we pray that you will reveal to us the glories of Christ. Help us, Lord, to see him a little better. Our beloved one, the fairest of 10,000. We want to fall in love with him because he fell in love with us. And we want to love him more. Help us, O oh Lord. We thank you again in Jesus Christ, the Lord's name. Amen. Amen. All right. So what we need to do is to look at some of the phrases because there are phrases like present your bodies, living sacrifice, holy and acceptable and spiritual worship. We've got these terms coming up uh, so many times. We've said it. I don't know if we've fully understood it. And so I think it's important that we pause to understand those terms. One is present your bodies. Now, I want you to understand that's a Levitical term. It's a sacrificial term. You know, like a priest would bring a sacrifice and he would take the whole being and put it on the altar. So presenting your body is about your whole being. You're saying, here's my all. This is me. Take me. I'm not holding anything back. So uh, presenting your body is this tangible expression of your giving. Now, you've heard this many times. And, you know, when you ask somebody, will you be there? Will you come to church? Like as an elder, you might ask, uh, you come to church? And the response is, I'll be there in the spirit. And, uh, and you want to say, no, 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 I want you. I want your spirit and your body. I want the whole of you, right? Just, uh, just having a uh, sacrifice where just your spirit or your soul is given is no good enough. It has to be the entirety of you. In the verse that will come up on the screen in chapter 6, verse 13, we see uh, that Paul is saying we need to present our members not into righteousness, but to righteousness. That we present uh, our every part of the body as instruments of righteousness. And the word present, right? It's saying present your body. So that means it's talking about ability. That means you have the ability to present. God's not asking you to do something which he said, ah, I can't present. No, you can't present. He has given you a choice, but it also tests your willingness. Are you willing to present, right? So not just the ability, but your willingness can be seen in that word present, present to your bodies, it says. And then it says, as a living sacrifice, living sacrifice, right? That's the next word there. Yes, living sacrifice. So 
when I say I'm a sacrifice, it means that I don't have a life of my own anymore, that the ownership has changed. And we will uh, talk about this more. It's about this lifestyle change. I used to live one way, that was my life. But now when there's an ownership change, there is a lifestyle change. Galatians 2.20, I think it's gonna come up on your screen, yes. Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live, that you can underline, underscore, highlight, whatever way that you do. The life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, so there is this, there is this lifestyle change uh, it's talking about. And living sacrifices, it's in dying, you live. That is, you die to your old self and you live in the new self. Dying, you live. There is again this lifestyle change. Then you have the word spiritual worship or in some of your translation, it says reasonable worship. And the word used there is logikos, that is intelligence or, or, or heartfelt or sensible or reasonable, that's the word. That worship is your most reasonable response. We were talking about a response in the first session, we were saying that worship is the most reasonable response. So as a living sacrifice, I'm saying it's not my life anymore. Uh, I live for him. His will is my command. And since he is the Lord of my life, we are saying this request, this, it seems like an unreasonable request that I have to give myself up over, you see, uh, is not unreasonable. It is reasonable because you don't belong to you anymore. So... We saw present your bodies, living sacrifice, spiritual worship, and let's see, holy, acceptable. Now, how can I be, you asked this question, how can I be acceptable? How can I be holy? How can I be acceptable as a sacrifice? Because a sacrifice must be spotless and blemishless. Uh, spotless is on the outside, external, no spots, blemishless is on the inside. That is, you know, I mean, there's no damage, to skin tissue damage or organ damage or whatever it is, right? So that's what a sacrifice is supposed to be, a spotless and blemishless. But look at me, like I'm overweight, underweight, nearsighted, I'm old, I've got liver spots and I'm married. So I've got selective uh, uh, deafness, you know, I, I, I don't hear properly after you've been married 29 years. So how can I be acceptable? I believe the greatest example is in our Lord Jesus Christ in that he was most acceptable even though at the hour of his sacrifice, his beauty was so marred, right? We read about that in Isaiah 52, isn't it? Where they couldn't even figure out whether he was a human or not. They disfigured him so bad. And so because I see in him, because his sacrifice is accepted, 
I am now made acceptable, not because of any good in me, but because of him. That's what First Peter chapter 2, verse 5, you can see on the screen, is saying that we offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Apart from that, whatever work that you've been doing, you know, in your discussion, you've been talking about things that we want to do. Um, Philippians chapter 4, 6 to 8, you've been talking about the good things that you need to uh, meditate on. And you do that on your own strength. You are no better than anybody in the rest of the world. You know, positive thinking. This is not positive thinking. I want you to understand. This is the result of the work that has happened because you can now offer spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ because of the work that God's done in you. Chapters 1 to 11, the work has already happened in you. So therefore, now you can offer what is acceptable. And what is holy? That means you're set apart, you're consecrated. That's the main part. That is you're set aside for God. You have set aside, you know, time for yourself, uh, money for yourself, vacation time for yourself. But you got to now set yourself apart to God. <laughs> and so the... Um, the, the body that is given itself completely to God is what, or a, a self that is, or a whole of you that is given completely to God is what we are talking about here, consecration. And, and we consecrate ourselves, you know, so you might ask this question, why worship? Like, why, why, why do we talk about worship? Why is worship supposed to be the big thing here? Because... Uh, we are designed for worship. Isaiah 43, 21 says this, that people whom I have found, uh, formed for myself to declare my praise. I mean, there are other verses, but you have been designed as a worshiper. That's what you are. Uh, that's your purpose. That was why you were created. And so worship of God then therefore becomes a reasonable response since, you know, since you're designed as worshipers, your best thing, when you hit your potential as a worshiper, you are doing what is right. So because uh, we have a flip side to it, right? Because we are designed as a worshiper, we cannot but worship. We always worship and we worship what we value most. Right, get that? You're excited most about what you like most. Uh, you, you, you want the front row seats to something that's more exciting. Uh, you know, I don't know if you go to IPL or whatever it is, right? But you want to be right up there in the box, in the gallery. Uh, so what excites you is what, uh, where the worship happens or the worship happens. Right, and, and so that reveals our true love. What we love most is what we worship most. Let's look at the contrast, right? The contrast is worship of idols is unreasonable. So in trying to understand this, why worship is reasonable, worship spend just a little time on why worship of idols is unreasonable and how this worship of idols creeps in very quickly. Now, what's an idol? How do we define 
idle. We define idol by saying anything that is more fundamental than God. Idolatry is valuing anything more precious than God. Anything in which our joy rests. When we get it, we're most excited about it. When we don't get it, when we lose it, we are most sour. That can reveal what your idol is. So. Uh, let me let me give you some examples, some obvious ones and some otherwise. One is the worship of I. You know, I worship myself. You might worship yourself, whether we like it or not. It actually began in the Garden of Eden. Think about it, right? I mean, uh, the devil comes in, the serpent comes in, and is saying all you have to do is, is reach out and take that fruit and you can be like God. Yeah. And I'm adding to the conversation, and he, the serpent may have even said, look around, nobody is made in the image of God. You alone are made in the image of God. There's something special about you, and you're just one step away from becoming God, and that's right there. You can choose. You don't need God to be dictating terms to you. You can choose to be God, and that is what it is. And, and, and since then, we, we have worshipped ourselves. We Our interest, our self-interest, our self-comfort, have always come in the way of serving God. So it, it's the, uh, it's the uh, worship of I, or it may be the worship of someone else. You know, we call them idols, celebrities. Uh, we have, you know, how American, American idol, or I don't know if there is any equivalent in India, but you see, we even call them an idol because there is the sense of, uh, value that we attribute them to. I want to give you another example. I think this is this is more, uh, maybe more relevant to some of us. There is this trap or the idol of if only and only if. If only of the past and only if of the future. We, we, we serve the idol of if only of the past and only if of the future. If only, if only my, if only I was a little more richer, if only I, my parents had treated me better, I wasn't abused, if only I had done this, if only I had cho chosen this, if only had, you know, you have all of these lists of if onlys as to why you feel so unable to do things. And that is an idol because you're saying that is something that's preventing you from doing what God's asking you to do. Or you might say only if, only if I get married, <laughs> only if I get this job, only if I get admission into whatever it is that you're looking for. So only if that happens, can I serve God? So you had these two idols, one of the past, one of the future to forget or to, uh, um, you know, to reject, as it were, the God of the present. And, and so we, we need to be careful about how these idols can seep in into our lives. I want to give you three reasons why uh, these idols, you need to be careful about these idols, all right? Three reasons. One is idols are deceptive. Uh, we got that there, right? Idols are deceptive. Uh, the sequence is wrong, but let me, uh, I'll go through that. Okay, one is idols are deceptive. 
Uh, you don't even know you have an idol. That's why it's deceptive. You, you think they will save you, but they actually enslave you. So uh, make sure that you're not deceived when you say you don't have an idol. Second, the idols are dangerous. They're dangerous because they appear to be harmless, but they exert great power. We see that in Isaiah 40, 20. Oh, it doesn't have any real power, all right? It's too impoverished. Uh, you know, it will, it will rot. The idols not new. It doesn't have any real power. But when you look at Jeremiah 2, 25, it says it exercises great power and control over you. So there's two contrasts, right? Uh, you have Isaiah 4020, Jeremiah 225, it shows you how deceptive and dangerous idols can be. And uh, we also saw Romans 1. You see, what happens is Paul is showing in chapter 1 of Romans that when you worship an idol, it leads to all a breakdown in life. Your spiritual, your social, your cultural of breakdowns happen. Isaiah 1, sorry, Romans 1 25 says, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. You see what's happening? Uh, it, it, it can actually uh, destroy you, your life. Because it's designed, that's the third one. It's designed to make you sin. I want you to understand, idolatry is not one sin among the many, but it's the main reason why we sin. Martin Luther, if you want to read up, he, he writes an exposition on the Ten Commandments. And he says that every violation of the Ten Commandments was first a violation of the first commandment, which is not to have idols or graven images. Every every violation of the Ten Commandments. So if you take a lie, why do I lie? Because I value something and I'm giving, attributing that and I'm protecting that by lying instead of honoring God. If I steal, I'm, you know, I've said that's more valuable than, than, uh, than God himself. So what we have to do is we have to consecrate ourselves. We are saying, uh, I'm saying not me, but I'm going to give myself to God because I cannot serve two masters. We read that in Matthew chapter six, isn't it? We cannot serve two masters. We think, you know, we can play this game for a while. Oh, I'm just too young. I just have to get into college. Uh, but once I settle down, then I'll, you know, then I'll give myself. We, we always push it to the future. And that again becomes your idol. You become your own idol because you've got your own priority. You haven't been gripped by the mercies of God. You haven't fully understood what you are losing, what the uh, uh, what you are choosing as opposed to what God is giving you. All right. So, what do we do? How do we? How do I handle this? I'm saying there are two steps that we can do. One is recognize and the other is destroy. We got to recognize the idol and then we got to destroy the idol. Two steps, right? Let me just walk you through that. First, how do you recognize the idol? Now, there are two levels of idols. Uh, I know some of you have been doing this session uh, uh, 
the counterfeit idols, if I'm if I'm not mistaken. And Tim Keller speaks about these two. There are, uh, you know, there are other terms people have given. One is called, they've called it either the visible idol and the invisible idol. Tim Keller calls it the close idol and the far idol, or the clear idol or the core idol. I wanna call it the surface idol and the source idol. What is seen on the outside by people? And what is the source? The two levels of idols. All right, so what's a surface idol? These are more tangible. These can be seen. This could be a work for an, as an example. This could be a relationship. This could be you know, money. This could be your beauty. This could be children. This could be career. This could be any of those things. But these are good things. You know, your children are good, all right? Uh, but when they become the ultimate things, then they become an idol. When your children become an ultimate thing, when your whole life is wrapped up in being a helicopter parent at the cost of valuing God, of recognizing that these children are just stewardship, uh, steward, you are just towards these children and that your responsibility is to care for them as under care, as caring, uh, as ones who are caring for God on behalf of God, then we might have a problem. Because these surface idols are a result of a source idol, something which is inside, uh, internal, or unseen, in, 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 invisible, it's intangible. One of the things that people say is I'm a perfectionist, right? As an example, I'm a perfectionist, you would say. I think that stems from, that could not, I'm not saying all cases, but that could stem from a source idol. Because what can be seen as a strength that you have a perfectionist who you can give a job, you know that would work will be done well, but if that person, takes the the source of that perfectionism is because they want control they want uh to uh they want you know to be um uh, appreciated if there is a inner reason of pride of of a superior worth than someone else then i think what you've done is you've offered whatever you do to this idol, the source idol of whether it's appreciation or control or whatever it be. I'll give you a personal example that God convicted me recently of. I've been a customer trainer, management trainer for I think, I don't know, 30 years or so before God called me into full-time work. And one of the things that I took pride in is I expect good customer service. I mean, I, you know, when you go to a restaurant, uh, my family, uh, it's sometimes traumatic for them because I'm looking up under the plate to see whether, you know, it's, it's clean. I'll, I hold up the uh, cutlery or the glass to see everything is clean. I like, I, 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 I'm very particular the way the person hands the menu. 
And I've always said, you know, that's because it's, a, it's me now, right? I've been in this career now for 30 years and I'm teaching this and I'm expecting this. And so it seems like, yeah, of course, you know, that's what it is. But as I was studying about this, uh, this theme for the theme and this particular passage, the Holy Spirit convicted me of this source idol. The source idol is, are you, are you really saying that you're so particular about customer service at a place where you, you, know, you don't even work there anymore? Or is it because you want to appease this inner idol of, of superiority? of something about you. That's an idol of I that I was worshiping. Huh, Lord, how easily I was deceived to think much about my own skill set. Because, you know, these source idols are always manifest, manifest themselves as a surface idol. They're always a good thing. You know, you want good bank balance, I mean, that's a good thing. But if your life is so poured out into getting, uh, you know, getting a good bank balance, then there's something wrong. Is it, what's driving it? I remember I wanted to be a director before I was 35 and God allowed me to become a uh, director before uh, at the age of 35 or before, I'm not sure, remember, uh, I don't remember clearly now, but, but uh, you know, what drove me to that is I wanted to prove myself. I can show you, you know, in Hindi, they have this expression, Am kisi se kam nahi, right? This desire for power, recognition, approval. Ah, those were idols that I was serving. Ashamed? Absolutely. Deceived? Absolutely. Because when you're at it, you're not asking the core reason why you're doing this. And that worship is not to God. If it is not for his glory, if you haven't consecrated yourself, like becoming a director is not wrong. I mean, I would love for many of our uh, brothers and sisters to rise up in, in their careers. You know why? Because you are able to influence those levels of people who have never heard the gospel. God might place you in places where you can be of good influence. So don't get me wrong. It's not about the career options, but about the intent with which we choose those career options. Who are we serving? That's the question I want to ask you. And I, uh, you could text me some of the source idols. You can text me uh, privately if you want. Some of these source idols that you are battling with because these are deceptive, they're destructive, and they're designed to make you sin. And so we got to recognize this, right? But how do I recognize it? That's the question. I mean, I've said, yeah, those are the two kinds. Those are the types of idols. How do I recognize it? One easy way to recognize it is, you know, when, who's getting the ultimate glory? That's the question. Who's getting the ultimate glory? We have that point here, check. Who is getting the ultimate glory? Is there a mistaken priority? Are you, are you like the uh, wedding photographer who is supposed to take the photographs of the bride and the groom? I don't know if you have uh, some horror stories like that of wedding photographers who've taken photographs of the food, of the decor, of uh, the place, of everything else, but have forgotten to take photographs of the, of the bride and of the groom. A mistaken priority. 
do you crave for limelight? Do you do you just glow and relish mm-hmm. when there is such appreciation and praise comes to you? Because if you are um, overly caught up in this need for glory, it's time to get off the stage because you have become the idol in a way that you don't want to. The question that um, has come up on the screen as a text to me is, is, is OCD an idol? My brother, my sister, whoever asked you this, OCD can be, we live in a, we live in a sinful body, right? And so there are, there are aspects of it we, which are medical, but there are aspects of it which we contribute to. OCD like anxiety is, is so, it's so medical and also something which we contribute to that, that if you feel, if you have any of those, it'd be good to have, to go meet somebody and talk about this. But if it is just pride in taking OCD, if it is just, if it is just pride in showing yourself being anxious, then, 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 then that's an idol. If it's not a medical issue. And so I hope you, you see the difference. The second one, uh, so that is what it leads up to, right? The second one is ask someone who's an accountability partner. You got two by twos, right? Or someone who's fair and objective, not someone who will destroy you, but who will help you understand. Ask that person. When my idol is not offered or appeased, do I get angry unreasonably? Do I get stressed up? Do I get upset? Do I get sad? Do I get fearful? If there is an unreasonable response when my, the way I think I need to do things, that's the offering that you're giving to the idol. When the idol is not appeased, when you haven't offered to the idol, would that make you, you know, uh, fearful or angry or anxious, overly anxious? Let somebody, hold up a mirror to you. That's a good way to recognize. And, uh, and so now we have to destroy, destroy. And this is important. How do I destroy? The two ways is repent and to rejoice. So there's too many texts, uh, two more texts. Let me, um, over independence or fear of dependence on others. Hmm. That's, that's true too. That's true too. We, we are, you know, we, we take pride in being independent, you know, we just, just ourselves and I don't trust people and, and um, well, we don't need to be naive or, uh, you know, overly trusting where it's not necessary. It's not that. But if you, if your pride is in the fact that I don't trust anybody or I don't need anybody, then you are trusting yourself. That's self-righteousness, right? Uh, is how I can see, but um, but I don't know the entire picture of the question that you're asking, but that's a good question to ask yourself. So how do we destroy these idols? That's, you know, I mean, you recognize true, but how do you, 
how do you destroy this? How do you make sure that's not there in your life anymore? Because if it's destructive, it is, it is deceptive and it's designed to make you sin. We don't want that. All right. So one is repent. Repentance involves switching values around. You, you liked something, you loved something, now you're going to repent and you say, no, that is not good. That fruit of the uh, tree of knowledge and good, good and evil is not good. You, you, you're saying, I'm not going to give value to that. I'm going to esteem value to, uh, to what is right. You see, um, the thing about sin or the thing about uh, when we sin, we have a high estimate of ourselves. We think, oh, that's not sin. I can manage sin or I can, you know, I can just do a balancing act. So I have this high estimate of ourselves and a low estimate of sin. And God is saying, you've got to have a low estimate of yourself, as in, as in saying that, no, you don't have the ability to stand and fight sin. Uh, it doesn't say resist sin. It says flee from sin. So when you see sin, you've got to run. And so a low estimate of your ability to fight sin, but a high estimate of sin, saying that any little thing that you feel is against God is against God, and I'm not... I'm, I'm going to run from that. That's what repentance is. Repentance is agreeing with God. That what God says in his word, you use the same yardstick. You don't rationalize. You use the same yardstick as the scripture when you define sin, right? And so repentance, repentance. But repentance alone is not enough. You see, when you repent without rejoicing, what is happening is you're saying, I don't want this, but my, you see, my love is not changed. I'm still loving the old thing. And so there's regret. There is, um, you know, it, it's, uh, it doesn't bring you joy. There's no satisfaction. You, you're just repenting. You're just repenting because you know you love to do whatever it is that you're doing, the filthy, ugly sin you're doing, but you love it. You're only repenting without turning away without rejecting value, without saying, I hate it. I don't want it. I, I cannot take joy in it. You have to move towards getting joy in what is God. But if you just take joy and no repentance, that is fake and that is shallow. I want you to understand. And, oh, God is good. God is good. You know, you have, you raise your hand, you clap your hands. I don't know what you do when you worship. You, 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 you just want to show yourself as a very rejoicing person, but you haven't repented of your sin. That is fake. That is terrible. That is, that's not going to help. So you have to repent and you have to rejoice. So the second we're saying is rejoice. Rejoicing, as Augustine calls it, he says it's the right ordering of your love. The right ordering of your love. You used to love something which is wrong, but now you're saying, I'm not going to love that. I'm going to love the right thing. You see, in the Garden of Eden, what uh, Adam and Eve were saying is that I, I'm going to love this ability to choose. I'm going to be the moral compass to decide what is right and wrong. And they loved that. They desired it. They saw it was good. We are saying that is not good. I'm going to say what God calls good, good. What God calls bad, I'm going to call it bad. That's the right ordering of uh, love. And so when you rejoice in Christ, that's your true worship. 
You praise him by prizing him. You got to prize him. You see how this worship comes um, uh, comes back. It's it's about what you value is what you worship. So when we say we struggle, it's because we love something else. We have to say, I cannot love that. I'm not, I just cannot love that. I'm going to love God. When I think this over, right, there is um, Gary Thomas in, in his book, Seeking the Face of God. He says, you know, Christian uh, health is not defined by how happy we are or how prosperous and healthy we are. It is also not uh, defined by how many people you brought to the Lord in this last year. Christian health is ultimately defined by how sincerely we wave our flag of surrender. We wave our flag of surrender. That's consecration. That is setting aside. That's the work that God's calling you to do. You have to do your part. You're saying, give up of yourself. You're full of yourself. I'm full of myself. And we have to lay that aside and say, God, you take over. You fail. You fill me. I want to be consecrated to you. I want to bring me to the altar. I want you to bring you to the altar. Consecration. Let me just pray and then I'll stop. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your goodness. Thank you for all that you've been to us. Help us, Lord, to, to understand a little more what consecration and worship means and how this progression of how wonderfully your word has been laid becomes clearer in our minds. So help us, God, as to live that Galatians 2.20 life for your glory alone in Jesus Christ. Amen.